This is officially our last Sunday school class for the Bridges class for this semester. And if it does uh, get continued somehow, I should be notified. And uh, <laughs> I, I would hope I'm, I'm notified with the chance to prepare something because uh, you don't want to hear somebody up here just shooting from the hip, just, you know, making stuff up as they go along. <laughs> there are churches you can go to where that happens quite regularly. But uh, this church, I think, deserves and expects someone to have something of some content to say. So uh, whether it gets from it, it's up to the Lord. It's in the Lord's hands. And we don't take that lightly when we say that. Yeah, Chuck? You'd like to notify me? Okay. I'll, I'll uh, talk to you after the class, and you can let me know what you're notifying me <laughs> of. Let's pray first, and, and I'm going to make a couple opening remarks before we get into a, uh, what, what some may consider a disturbing couple of words. Father, Lord, help us to always come with a heart that's prepared to receive the word of life. Help us, Lord, never to take anything that you've told us lightly. Prepare our hearts. Give us ears to hear, I pray. Lord, that we might serve you better and glorify you as we see the times getting worse and things getting so out of hand. I pray, Lord, that our trust and our confidence will always and only be in you. And we ask you this for the glory of your soon coming kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the sovereignty of God is a wonderful thing. I, uh, I think that I was drawn to the Reformed tradition because of the emphasis on the sovereignty of God. Because, really, how can you argue with that? I mean, uh, for people that, that dance around these verses in Scripture that have to do so clearly with God's sovereignty... You know, you'd have to be, I don't want to sound cruel or crass, but I think there's something wrong with a person who can't take the Bible at, at what it says. And when it talks about God's foreknowledge, I mean, I know that kind of rattles some people's cages, but uh, we know that he's in control and he really does control everything. I'm going to read this morning out of a uh, couple of verses in Matthew chapter 16. And if uh, you'd like to turn there or get your phone to take you there, which is what I'm doing. And the reason I mention the sovereignty of God is because as I was preparing for this last, which I thought was going to be our last lesson, I wanted it to be something good. You know, because last things are generally lasting things. And I didn't want this, this last Sunday school class to go over like a dud and people just leave and say, ah, yeah, been there, done that. So as I was praying, uh, the Lord laid something on my heart, and I tried to avoid it, and he kept laying it on my heart. And, I, and then I started thinking about the sovereignty of God, and I figured, well, the Lord knew that you were going to be here today. I didn't know who was going to be here. As I was uh, meditating on these thoughts and these scripture verses we're going to read, but the Lord knew that you were going to be here. And that that means something. Uh, that's a great confidence that we have as, as preachers. The Lord knows who's going who's gonna to be there, and he ministers to the need. 
it just happens to remind me of a church somewhere up in North Dakota, uh, Mennonite Brethren Church or something, a small church pastor just trying to do his best. And he had a guy in his church who, uh, after he got finished preaching, he'd always come up to him and say, boy, pastor, you, you sure told him today. And uh, every, every service, you know, he'd come up and uh, the pastor would preach and he'd say, boy, yeah. after the service, boy, preach, <laughs> man, you let him have it today, boy. You laid it on the line. And, and, and this pastor began to think, why is it this guy only thinks that I'm preaching to everybody else and I'm not preaching anything to him? And uh, so uh, one Sunday, there was a heavy snowstorm and this was the only guy that showed up. This will be good for you guys <laughs> live in Minnesota. This could happen to you. <laughs> he was the only guy that showed up. The preacher said, I got him. <laughs> he, he's not going to misunderstand today. So the pastor preached. He laid it on him. And, you know, he, he preached as if he was preaching to the whole congregation. And uh, after the service, he thought, well, what's he going to say? Now? The guy came up and said, boy, pastor, you, you sure would have told him if they were here today. <laughs> so so <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's very common that we would think, well, that message is for somebody else. It really doesn't apply to me. But if we would search our hearts, and of course, as we deal with the words of Jesus, how can we deny that what he says applies to us, even if it's uncomfortable? The verses that we're going to look at today for our last, at least it's so far the last lesson, officially, this is, uh, today's the 22nd, correct? The 22nd of May, 2022, and it might be our last, and if it gets extended, then we'll cross that bridge when it comes to it. I'm going to read Matthew chapter 16, uh, starting with verse number 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. How glorious that must have been. Uh, forgive me if I annotate in between verses. I just, I love the word of God and I just can't help but say, amen, even in the middle of reading these. You get that. Indeed. Amen. <laughs> yeah, amen, indeed. <laughs> Joe's wife was here last week, actually said hallelujah. And that's, that's okay too. The word of God deserves a hallelujah. Verse 22. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he, Jesus, turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What a way with words Jesus had. I don't know if these things ever stagger you as you read these verses. And I mean, and really get into it. Uh, Aside from trying to put yourself there with Peter, I mean, if Peter didn't say something like, if I was there, I probably would have said something like that. Whoa, 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 Jesus, you, 
You don't need to do that. Come on, Jesus, you're the Lord. You could, come on. Isn't there something else you could do? But, of course, the Lord knew what he was doing. And uh, Peter did not know what he was saying. That's one of his characteristics. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, the <laughs> scripture said Jesus, uh, uh, after he was transfigured, Peter, not knowing what to say, still said something. And that, that just, I guess I like Peter because I, I can identify with him and I, I often do the same thing. Well, if there was a couple of things that we could do to assure us or assist us in a life of Christian victory. Just a couple of things. Wouldn't we want to do it? Wouldn't we like to have just a couple of, Lord, just, maybe I think like this because I was never really a good student. I always had a hard time with remembering a lot of things. And even as I received my, my training in preaching, it wasn't too long before I realized you know, the more ornate and the more information you put in a sermon, the more you tell them, the more they're going to forget. And, and, and Jesus would just chuck it right down to the cob. He'd, he'd say these simple little insightful things that people just couldn't shake off. And that's why we love him. Of course, we love him. Someone said uh, he took oceans of truth and distilled them into droplets of sayings. And the things that I want us to consider today, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider, and by the way, we're finishing a short little series here, answering the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? If we could ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Here's what he would tell us from the context of verses that we just read. Deny yourself and take up your cross. It's really two stages of one thing. Self-denial. That's really the two words. I just got two words for you today. And these bother me so much, I wanted to share it with you. <laughs> I'd like to spread some of this uncomfortable feeling. Self-denial. Deny yourself. If there's anything that we don't like to do, it's deny ourself. Yet this is what Jesus tells us, following what Peter said Oh, Lord, you can't do this. You're going to the cross. You're going to suffer this horrible death. You don't need to do that. And Jesus comes and tells us. And, of course, we understand he's, communi he's communicating this to us also. It isn't just something for the first century apostles. You know, we hear a lot of fancy here. We see a lot of fancy sidestepping of uncomfortable verses. If people don't want to deal with it, they'll relegate it to another dispensation or put it, say, well, you know, that really doesn't apply to you. Well, if we don't like it, <laughs> of course we're going to try to stick it on someone else. Say, well, this really doesn't apply to you, Alan. Uh, you know, this really applied to someone else. You, you, you can just do what you want. <laughs> Enjoy yourself. And by the way, we realize how unfashionable this type of preaching is. Uh, everything now is self-affirming, self, you know, uh, self-esteem. And uh, it seems like this type of off-balance preaching uh, started to surface. And uh, I'm going to ask Dr. Skates to check me on this. I think it was around the middle of the 19th century where uh, something that we would call a prosperity or a feel-good preacher and, and, you know, there's probably been preachers like this ever since the beginning, you know, uh, preachers that were in it for the wrong reason. But uh, it seems as I was studying and, and teaching church history, uh, 
It was in the middle of the 19th century, 1850-ish, somewhere around there, where pastors actually built their ministry on feel-good, self-affirming, social gospel type of preaching. And when this critical point of Christian life, self-denial and taking up your cross, is put aside and we're put in as the main object of our life, it can't work out for the best. We have to deny ourselves even though we don't want to. Uh, we have to admit, of all the problems that we have in our life, as you're trying to live for Jesus, of all the problems that we have, the biggest person you have a problem with is the one who's wearing your shoes right now. <laughs> I mean, we'd love to blame someone else. Spouses. It's her. It's him. You know, it's the first lie. You know, when God came down and said, Adam, what'd you do? He said, it's her. <laughs> right? <laughs> What did she say? It's a snake. You know, the snake, well, he didn't have a leg to stand on. So he's, <laughs> that's so lame. <laughs> but he didn't. <laughs> I think he lost his leg shortly after that. On your belly. And that's, that's the way it went. But we're always trying to pass the buck. And uh, we have to admit, it's us. And if we will deny ourselves the things that we generally want, it's got to work for the better, for our, for our Christian life and our life of victory. There is a, uh, a cliche, a saying, I don't know who originally said it. I just heard recently that maybe Woody Allen, <laughs> we don't quote Woody Allen much in church, but uh, because it's <laughs> picked up so much uh, uh, traction, uh, the saying is, well, the heart wants what the heart wants. That's all right. I like that. That's, that's, uh, that actually goes along with the saying, the heart wants what the heart wants. Yeah, baby, let's, let's swing with it. But that's our problem. Uh, people don't like to hear verses about our depravity and the desperate wickedness of our hearts. People want to be, you know, they want to be puffed up. They want their ears tickled. Tell me something good. Tell me how good I am. No, you're not good. I'm sorry. None of us are good. There's nothing to do with good. No, not one. Didn't the Bible say that somewhere? It says it in several places. Yeah, there is none to do with good. No, not one. So we are the problem. And it seems that uh, preaching morphs and people want to change it to be more popular and acceptable uh, with the general population. And uh, Jesus was nothing like that. You know what? Uh, Nowadays, the big thing is seeker-sensitive churches. And I've been listening to some YouTube videos, R.C. Sproul. And uh, he's, boy, he's hitting the nail on the head. And he said that seeker-sensitive churches are, are really not the best way to be preaching the gospel. Because people in their unregenerate state of spiritual death, they have no desire to seek after God. What they're looking for is some cheap grace and some way to uh, uh, get fire insurance, someone that'll tell them, oh, don't worry, you're okay. God loves you just the way you are. That's another thing Sproul says. No, he doesn't love you just the way you are. He may love you, but he's not going to leave you the way you are. So it's self-denial. And taking up the cross goes with it. And I, I'm, this, this may come out a little messier. than I always have notes, but it seems like the notes just, uh, they don't always come out the way they're supposed to. I'll stick with them when I can. 
So what we like about Reformed preaching is that it doesn't avoid anything. And when uh, uh, Bible books are preached, we have to handle things that we don't like. I've heard Dr. Skate say that many times. Uh, we don't have the option just to preach what we want or what we want the Bible to say. We have to handle it all. And I think that these verses here on self-denial, as uncomfortable as they may be, we have to deal with it. And we, and we have to examine our hearts and say, Lord, where can I deny myself? And you know what? You don't even have to pray about this. Every day, all day long, we make choices and decisions based on what main thing? What we want. And that's our problem. It's what we want. It's because we love ourselves so much. Now, maybe you've heard that there are preachers and there's a whole perversion of the gospel that says, you need to love yourself more. That's never been the problem. We love ourselves too much as it is. You want me to prove it? Jesus said, love others like you love yourself. Self-love is the gold standard of how we love we don't love anything like we love ourselves. So Jesus says, you really want to prove your love to someone? Love them like you love you. Now, I use an illustration, I think, and this is my third Sunday school class, uh, you know, as a team teaching between uh, Ron and Chris. And uh, I might have used this illustration before. So <laughs> I'm only on my third class and I'm an illustration reruns already, but <laughs> I only have so many. And uh, all of you may not have heard this because we do have a, a uh, rotating congregation here. But... Uh, Here's how I can prove to you how supreme self-love is. Here it is. When's the last time you saw a group picture of 10, 15, 20 people, and you were in it, and someone showed you that picture? Who was the first one you looked for? Where am I? Oh, there I am. And then people usually say something like, oh, I hate myself in this picture. You ever heard people say that? Have you say that? <laughs> I had one eye closed, I was picking my nose. <laughs> Something else. I hate myself in that picture. Now, we really don't hate ourselves. The fact is we love ourselves so much, we wish we looked better in the picture. <laughs> That's how self-love works. So, you know, we, we even deceive ourselves. We say, oh, I hate myself. No, you don't. <laughs> you love yourself so much, you always want to look good. You always want it to be your best side. And <laughs> some of us don't have a choice. Neither one's any good. <laughs> so it's, it's just the way it goes. So when it comes to our Christian life and a life of victory, we would like to finish like the Apostle Paul finished. And I have uh, written in my notes here, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Listen to these words of victory. Quote, the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Unquote. That type of exit of this life isn't going to happen just because you show up in church once in a while. The Apostle Paul was one who epitomized self-denial. All the times he took a beating, and of course there's others throughout church history. You know, for those of us who've ever felt sorry for ourselves, you need to read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Man, that'll shut you up right there. You'll never say, oh, what a, what, what a hard time I've had. You read Fox's Book of Martyrs and you realize what people, the supreme price that they paid and the way that some of these people died. You know, we just started going through, we just opened up a study 
in our uh, Thursday morning men's breakfast slash Bible study on the uh, book of Isaiah. And our senior pastor reminded us that Isaiah is mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith in the book of Hebrews and the way that he left this life. Sawn in two. This great, probably one of the, the most messianic prophets of the Old Testament, a major prophet by all means, major in size of his literature and also by the content of his uh, prophecies. And yet he left this life sawn in two. John the Baptist, the greatest prophet who ever was, according to what Jesus said, how did he leave? Beheaded because of, well, you know the story. I don't have to get into all that. I don't think it bothered John. I kind of think he had a smile on his face when they brought his head. He was like, <laughs> he made it out. I mean, uh, we, we don't like to think of martyrdom and murder and persecution for Christ's sake as a, as a good thing, but it's the best thing that can ever happen to us, really. So how does this tie into uh, self-denial and taking up our cross? It's two aspects of the same thing. Uh, you will be less likely to willingly take up a cross if you're not willing to deny yourself. And this is a battle that we all fight. And I'm just teaching this, trying to teach this, preach this this morning to remind us that the biggest problem we have is with us. Who was it who said, was it in a Peanuts, Peanuts comic or something? We found the enemy and it's us. We're our own biggest adversary. And, you know, we're always blaming the devil. The devil maybe do this. No, the devil only uses what's inside of us. It's already in there. You remember... How long ago was it? <laughs> you know, I refer to commercials as if they were just two weeks ago, and I, I realized they're probably 20 or 30 years ago. You remember the, the, the Prego uh, uh, tomato sauce commercials? And they talk about, you know, uh, man, why, why is this so good? You know, and, and this Italian guy would say, it's in there. It's in there. You know, this, this is the ingredients of the Prego tomato sauce. It's in there. And uh, why am I having so many problems? It's in there. It's in here. It's inside of us, and we're constantly fighting this, and it's something that uh, we know who the adversary is. We know it's us. We know it's our problems, and we just have to keep on fighting it. So, what, uh, oh, I've got a good quote here from John Calvin. Yeah, you really, really need to hear this. I think this is the high point of our studies. <laughs> Not what I say <laughs> when I'm quoting John Calvin or someone else. Then you really need to listen. What does it mean to deny oneself? This is what John Calvin says, quote, This self-denial is very extensive and implies that we ought to give up our natural inclinations and part with all of the affections of the flesh and thus give our consent to be reduced to nothing provided that God lives and reigns in us, unquote. That's good. He had a way with words, didn't he? That's so good, rather than me just talking, I want to read that again. That's how good it is. Quote, this self-denial is very extensive and implies that we ought to give up our natural inclinations and part with all of the affections of the flesh and thus give our consent to be reduced to nothing provided that God lives and reigns in us. Unquote. 
as I meditated on that statement, I thought about the way that he worded some of those things. Uh, you know, give our consent. It's something that we have to be willing to do. To be reduced to nothing, that's not a very popular thing. See, these are not the type of things that pack out convention centers. Come on, we're going to do a seminar on self-denial and taking up your cross. Could you imagine the crowds? No, they want to hear, how can I have my best life now? How can I be all that I can be? How can I? Come on in. The door's locked. You lock my daughter out. I didn't lock your daughter out. I don't know how that door got locked. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here, Sandy. Yes. Okay. So that's the deal. Uh, this, this, uh, uh, thing here about uh, our cross to bear. I've heard people confess both things. I've heard people say, well, this is my cross to bear. And I've also heard people say, well, that's not my cross to bear. And uh, one thing's for sure, if, if, if you and I are open to the leading of the Lord, sooner or later, there is going to be some distinctively Christian trial, which can be likened to a cross that we have to bear. Matter of fact, Luke says, in Luke's version of the gospel, he says, take up your cross daily. So it's like something's always coming up. And I got another quote from Calvin. I'm going to save it for the end. After you get tired of listening to me, I'll give you another little good juicy tidbit from Calvin, another thing that he says, which is always worth hearing. But Jesus used this horrible description of Roman execution. Take up your cross. You know, the reason why we think, or the reason why we know that this uh, seeker-sensitive stuff is so uh, bogus is because it sounds like, it looks like, when people came to Jesus, it looked like he was trying to talk them out of following him, right? The rich young ruler, these others, you know, uh, you sure you want to do this? You better count the cost. You better know what you're getting into. Nowadays, we don't, we don't talk like that. We say, oh, come on in, everything. Oh, Lord, love you just the way you are. He loves you just the way you are. You don't have to change anything. Well, you may have to change everything. First of all, denying ourselves. We, we don't want to do that. You know, years ago, I got to tell you something, it's embarrassing, but I can make fun of myself. I got so much material for that. <laughs> I was going to preach a series, and I told my wife, I said, "Hun, i I'm working on a series of messages, and the title of that series is going to be, Why I Don't Want to Be Like Jesus. And, you know, I, I was thinking about verses like this. Self-denial, take up your cross, turn the other cheek. Who wants to do that, really? So I thought, boy, this is really going to get their attention. Why I don't want to be, and we had a sign in front of our church. But sermon series, why I don't want to be. My wife talked me out of it. I'm glad that she did. I, 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 think that was, I think that was a bad idea. Sometimes I'd put things on our sign that ended up backfiring. You know, we had this sign before we got the computerized one. You know, it was like a four by eight thing. And uh, you would have little eight-inch letters. And uh, I thought, boy, I got such a great idea. So I put on one side of the sign, alcoholics, drug addicts, prostitutes, you are loved and welcome here. And on the other side, I put doctors, lawyers, <laughs> CPAs, you're, doc you know, you know, you're welcome here also. And uh, boy, that backfired on me. I, had <laughs> I, I noticed these people who were coming to our church, they... They stopped coming, so I went and visited them. Hey, well, what happened? <laughs> and they said, well, you know, we just want to know what, what category we, you know. 
where do you put us? And I mean, I, I wasn't, I'm just trying to say that, you know, the Lord can help anybody, whoever they are. But one of the, one of the qualifications, one of the stipulations is that we are willing to deny ourselves. And uh, when people come to the Lord or they come to a church and they're just talked into some easy little confession, oh, just say the sinner's prayer. You know, I, I was glad that Ron uh, suggested I read J.I. Packer's book on evangelism and the sovereignty of God. And uh, I was blessed as I read that because as I'm making my way through it, I said, I've always believed this. I've always believed this. So uh, I realized that the Lord was reforming me, even though I didn't come from a reformed tradition. I always believed everything that he said about that. And uh, people are talked into an easy believism, uh, what's called cheap grace or sloppy agape. <laughs> you know, it's just a, it, it, it just a, make it sound so easy. Oh, you don't have to do anything. Just, ah, the Lord loves you just the way you are. And, you know, just say a little prayer, you know, you're in. And, uh, you know, some of these evangelistic outreach services, you know, you don't even have to come forward and come down to the mourner's bench or the altar. Just, you know, bow your head and raise your hand, you know, or just uh, give me a peek over the seat and you're in. Okay, yeah, I see it. It's almost like a secret auction we got going on here. Beep, okay, I see that, all right. And it's, uh, it requires more. It requires things like self-denial and a willingness to take up our cross. Here's the thing about cross-bearing. The thing about a cross is that it's something unique to our Christian life that we wouldn't have to do if we were not trying to serve the Lord. We're surrounded by people on our jobs and our families. They don't take up any cross. They don't ever have to deny themselves. They just do whatever they want to do. Why is it that I have to do this? It's because of who we follow and because of whose we are. And when Jesus says, I have to take up a cross, we say, well, how come he doesn't have to do it? Well, maybe they're heathens. Maybe they're not the Lord's children. How come I'm being chastised? How come the Lord's not correcting them? And maybe they're not one of his kids. We don't go around correcting other people's children, do we? <laughs> I sometimes would like to. <laughs> you ever been in a mall and the kids running around and say, man, I wish I, well, you can't. They're somebody else's kids. And the Lord and his family, he's got his kids. And uh, the message that Bob preached this morning out of Hebrews chapter 12, you know, about the Lord chastens those that he loves. Yeah, there is a hard thing that we have to go through because the Lord's trying to do something. The Lord wants us to come to the end of our life like the Apostle Paul, where we could say, I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. I finished the course. And that doesn't happen just because you sneak into the church, sit on a back pew and just uh, say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And everything just goes along smoothly in our life. There may be something that's going to be distinctively Christian. And whatever this cross is, is going to make our faith and our life for the Lord better. The Lord's working on you. He's trying to get you out of the way. Trying to get me out of the way. Boy, this is a real up with people message, ain't it? <laughs> yeah, you're in the way. You're the problem. <laughs> oh, the Lord loves you the way you are. Yeah, that's, that's much more popular. But Jesus said, deny yourself. Very, very disturbing. You know, this self-denial is difficult enough by itself, but then Jesus adds this element of taking up our cross, which even makes it more challenging, more objectionable. Here's that one other quote by John Calvin, another gem here. Quote, The patience of the saints, therefore, 
consists in bearing willingly the cross which has been laid on them. Luke adds the word daily. Let him take up his cross daily, which is very emphatic, for Christ's meaning is, listen to this, for Christ's meaning is that there will be no end to our warfare till we leave the world. Wouldn't it be nice if we could just do this cross-bearing thing once and get it over with? <laughs> okay, been there, done that. Check it off my list. Yeah, I bared the cross once. <laughs> Glad I don't have to do that again. Daily, something else is going to come up. Might have to do it. Well, what are you going to do? You know, last week when we were talking about uh, trusting in the Lord, I had something in my notes, and I always forget something that's in my notes. But... Uh, our trust in the Lord, and by the way, we need this for denying ourselves and taking up our cross, but our trust in the Lord is, is a blessed thing. And if we have no place else to go, nowhere else on which we can cast our cares and put our trust, where else are we going to go? You remember when Jesus, the closer he got to the cross, and he turned to the twelve, I mean, you know, after the fish and chips and, you know, the, the never-ending buffet was over with, I mean, the Lord just multiplying the food, they never ran out of food. And that stopped, and Jesus started talking about eating my flesh and drinking my blood. The crowd started falling off. Yeah, I'm not sure I want that. Let me know when the fish and chips come back. But no, they, they did not want the self-sacrifice and denying themselves. And Jesus turned to the twelve and said, well, what about you? You going? And Peter, even though he stuck his foot in his mouth most of the time, said one of the great statements. He said, Lord, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. And really, where are we going to go? Who else are we going to go to? Who else has a better plan? No one but the Lord. He's got the entire plan, and he knows what he's doing. Another thing Bob just mentioned in his sermon, uh, he said someone from Ghana uh, said, you know, when you're going through a trial, when you're going through something, and maybe you're having a hard time denying yourself or bearing this cross that you're under, rather than saying, Lord, why am I going through this? What, what we ought to say is, uh, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? And that's a, that's a precious, valuable thing. You know, the Lord is not just trying to make your life miserable just so that you'll have something to complain about when you come to church. But hopefully, he's, he's trying to get you out of the way. He's trying to get me out of the way. And we go through things. You know, Susan, you, you, you wrote me that letter with that testimony about what you went through. I mean, that, was, that must have been horrendous going through that and, you know, worrying, how's, how's the surgery going to go? And, you know, am I, am I going to be all right? And it's a, it's a, whatever the result is, if we're trusting in the Lord, how can we lose? If we deny ourselves to the place where I don't get the attention I want, nobody knows me, nobody knows how good I am. <laughs> hey, just be thankful nobody knows how bad you are. <laughs> That's what your attitude ought to be. <laughs> You know, people say, well, what do you do when, you know, somebody says something bad about you? I'll tell you what I do. I'm just glad they don't know anything else. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can be quiet. <laughs> I'm just, don't tell them now. As long as my wife's not there, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much good. She knows all the, she knows all the dirt. So, really, when it comes to self-denial and taking up a cross, really, when do we ever think like this? Never. It's only when we're giving ourselves and giving ourselves fully to the application of the gospel. And by the way, 
if you think this is a distinctively Christian thing, you know, there are other religions, other world religions, where people deny the, themselves much more, uh, what's the word, devotedly. Come on, give me a word, somebody. You know, much more effectively, much more wholeheartedly than we do. It, it, it's because our Christian gospel has been perverted. And, you know, it's always the genuine article that gets counterfeited. You know, nobody's out there... Uh, counterfeiting Islam. <laughs> Who wants to hear, <laughs> oh, we got good news for you. <laughs> There's no good news in Islam. And I mean, I know precious Hindu people, but uh, nobody's out there trying to make it sound better. Hey, it is what it is if you don't like it. And, 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 and the gospel ought to be unadulterated the way Jesus lays it out. And uh, if, if we don't like what it says, it's our problem, and we should search our hearts and say, Lord, help me to get myself out of the way. Help me, Lord, to deny myself. That's really the simple message I have to leave with you today. Deny yourself. If you just remember two words, that's all I got. Deny yourself. I'll guarantee you today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of your life, you will have an opportunity to deny yourself for Christ's sake and for his glory, that'll work out for the best. As long as you don't give yourself over to whatever you want or you think you have to have. And prayerfully consider, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I deny myself for your glory, for the sake of your coming kingdom? Any questions? Yes, Sishan. Self-love. And the photo reminds me of something we call Washington Reading. Washington what? Reading. Washington Reading? That's correct. Okay. This is a painting of George Washington Reading? I know George Washington is one of your favorite people. Washington Reading is when a new book is published. Oh. You go and read the index. Uh-huh. When your name is in there, you look what it, it's written. Yes. And it's written very well, you buy the book. I see. I see. See? Now that Washington reading. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. I wasn't sure that he was talking about, you know, there's a painting of George Washington reading. Because Seashawn's three favorite people are Jesus, George Washington, and Martin Luther. Isn't that right? And the first time I heard that, I said, you know, Seashawn, that really makes me wonder about you. Jesus turned the water into wine. George Washington ran a distillery. And Martin Luther spent a lot of time drinking beer in a Hofbrau. <laughs> and these are your three <laughs> favorite people? <laughs> Jesus did turn the water into wine. Yes, Chuck? Did Seashawn write the book? I don't know. Are you talking about a book that was written about you? Well, there you go. You know, that's really not surprising. That's, that's really not surprising that we would be so self-conscious and self-centered. And uh, it's just the way we are. It's in there. It's a part of you. It's a part of you that's a problem. Yes, sir.
often say, I guess this is my cross to bear. Uh -huh. And I try to gently say, no, it's a trial. Both the things, deny yourself, that's a voluntary thing. Uh -huh. the cross, that's you can put the cross down or you can pick it up. Uh -huh. So a car accident is not your cross to bear, it's a right. accident or tri uh, trial. Right. Yes, I like it already. Yes, we, we want something light to drag around, a balsa wood cross. Right. I think about times when uh, people, uh, you know, they got pulled over for speeding and they say, oh, well, uh, it's my cross to bear. No, it's not. You just, you, you were driving too fast. That's not a cross to bear. You know, uh, really, bearing your cross would be if, if, if you're in your job or your workplace and your boss wants you to do something crooked and you know it's crooked and you say, I cannot do that. And they say, well, you're going to lose your job. Now, that might turn into your cross to bear. You're suffering this for the sake of the Lord and your testimony and to be right with him, which is much more important than any temporary uh, advantage that we may have on our job. Okay. Now, as far as the future of our class, I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. Uh, Garland, uh, Becky told me that somebody emailed her. I don't know if that was you who uh, said they wanted to continue this class, but... Uh, yes. Okay, well, uh, if, if, if we are going to do that, already today I'm starting on uh, illustration reruns. You might hear some more of the same stories. I hadn't got the Farmer Brown yet. <laughs> Some of you here, you're going to hear about Farmer Brown, and uh, you need to hear about Farmer Brown, but you haven't yet. And boy, the people in my church got so sick. When I'd mentioned Farmer Brown, I mean, I could see my sister rolling her eyes. Oh, not again. <laughs> it's a good illustration, and you know, we just, we need to get our uh, nickels worth out of our illustrations. Okay, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, Lord, help us to be sensitive to the leading of your spirit, and for those opportunities, Lord, that we have every day to deny ourselves and our own selfish ambitions and desires. And Lord, if there's a cross that we're going to have to bear for your glory, I pray, Lord, that we will bear it with honor and with distinction and we'll do it to the praise of your glory. Help us, Father, not to be looking for the easy way out, but to always look to glorify you. Lord, even as we pray all the time, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Lord, help us to be so totally into that program, Lord, that that's what we care about more than anything else, even our own self-love and the things that we want for this life. Help us, Father, to put you first, all for your kingdom and your glory, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. All right, I'll read it again. I read it once. Here it is. This has to do with cross-bearing. The patience of the saints, therefore, consists in bearing willingly the cross which has been laid on them. Luke adds the word daily. Let him take up his cross daily, which is very emphatic, for Christ's meaning is that there will be no end to our warfare till we leave the world, unquote. So, I mean, I said that so fast, maybe I didn't. Make it, make it clear enough, but boy, we're always looking for a way out. And uh, how long is this going to take? Well, how much longer you got to live? <laughs> May God help us. Amen.
God bless you. Uh, you know, I really don't know uh, whether whether we are or not. Uh, Let's just go ahead and meet. Okay. Let's just rise up. Okay. Who's teaching? Why don't you deny yourself when you go to the cross and teach? You got me there. I guess. Boy, you pulled that one out. You'll do something a week after. Okay, fair enough. Okay, all right. Sometime next week, I want to see you and drink lunch. Okay. Okay. Yes. Hey, I was talking to. Uh,